Do you remember the message last Sunday? What was the message last Sunday? Do not be deceived. Be on guard. Very good. Now, being on guard is one of the keys to the victorious life. We've been talking about victorious living for several weeks throughout the book of Joshua. Today, we will talk about another key to victorious living. And we'll be learning from a, an amazing character whom, whose, whose name we just heard uh, through the verses of Joshua 14. Now, obviously, we would have skipped a few chapters from last Sunday. Last Sunday covered chapter 9, basically, and part of 10. And so we're going to skip over a couple of chapters. For example, in Joshua chapter 12, if you read it for yourself, and we do hope that you've been reading Joshua on your own as well, not just waiting for the Sunday message, you'll see an enumeration by name of 31 kings on both the western side and the eastern side of the Jordan River that the Lord allowed the Israelites to vanquish and have victory over. 31 kings, imagine that, who inhabited that land. And then in chapter 13, the chapter just prior to what we're going to talk about today, it talked about, well, God telling Joshua, you know, there's still much land that needs to be possessed, but start to, begin, uh, start to already parcel out the land uh, as according to His promise, God's promise. And so just to set the, you know, set our bearings for today, this is what we see more or less at the beginning of chapter 14. You have the allocation of land to the 12 tribes of Israel. Right down the middle is your Jordan River. And you have the nine and a half tribes on the western side and the two and a half tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan. And we'll explain that a little bit, although that is not the entire message for today, but just to get our bearings straight. So we begin in Joshua chapter 14, and we'll read uh, the first few verses that talk about the apportionment of the land. And if you have super eyesight, and you saw the map earlier on the big screen, you will notice that uh, you have tribes of Manasseh, which were not originally part of the 12 tribes, and you don't see the tribe of Levi. So the next few verses will explain uh, that situation. So here in Joshua 14, it says, now these are the territories which the sons of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the households of the tribes of the sons of Israel apportioned to them for an inheritance, by the lot of their inheritance as the Lord commanded through Moses for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. What word do you see repeated in these verses? Oh boy, you, you, you don't need to guess, right? I highlighted it for you. And the wonderful thing, you know, as I was reflecting about this, is that <clears throat> the story of the Israelite nation is really a story of grace. They don't deserve to be where they were at this point in their life. They didn't do anything to deserve having been given the land that God gave them. This was God's land, and He gave it to them because he's a gracious and a faithful God. Now, the word inheritance, for example, by implication, is something that you and I do not work for. You and I will enjoy an inheritance because we are a part of a particular family. Is that right? It's not something we work for. 
It's something we receive because we happen to be part of someone's family. For example, in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter writes about heaven being our inheritance. We can be sure of going to heaven when we have a relationship with Jesus because believing in Jesus and receiving Him brings us into the family of God. And so when you and I, you know, whenever we read the story of the Israelite nation, we need to keep in mind this is a story of grace. It is your story and mine as well in many ways. And so it says they began to apportion the land. Uh, they did it by lot. We don't exactly know how, Urim, Thummim, whatever it is, but you know, they used to do that in the Old Testament. We see them using that in the early part of the New Testament. But today, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God, so we don't need to cast lots anymore. Now, just going further down, again, you see the words, for Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and a half tribe beyond the Jordan. That's on the eastern side, as we saw in the map. But he did not give an inheritance to the Levites among them. And that's why you don't see the word Levi in the map we looked at earlier. They did not give an inheritance to them because God is their inheritance. For the sons of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they did not give a portion to the Levites in the land except cities to live in, in each of the tribes' allocations, with their pasture lands for their livestock, <clears throat> excuse me, and for their property. Thus the sons of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they divided the land. So folks, that's where we are at this point in Joshua chapter 14. But going back to our main topic for the entire series of the book of Joshua, what is that? Victorious living. So last Sunday, Pastor Peter emphasized very strongly the need to be on guard and not be deceived. And many times that issue of deception, that challenge of deception is right here in how we think. And one of the enemy's strongest weapons is to get us to think the wrong way. Because if we think the wrong way, then our beliefs and our emotions will be flawed and our actions and our directions in life will also be wrong. So that's why we need to be on guard. And today, I realize, as we, just before we get into this character study in Joshua 14, I realize one of the wrong thinking that the enemy would like us to, you know, would like to embed in our minds is short-term thinking, having a very short-term mindset. What is the problem with having a short-term mindset? Well, it is the polar opposite of the mindset of the character you and I will study today. For example, Having a short-term mindset will lead us into having this kind of attitude. I want it now. I want the pleasure now. I want the experience now. And chances are, when you and I have a short-term mindset, we become unmindful of the consequences down the road. So that's part of Satan's scheme, to get us to think very short-term, therefore very selfishly, and not be mindful of the possible consequences down the road. That's one danger of having a short-term mindset. Another danger of having a short-term mindset is this. We often deceive ourselves into thinking 
that the grass is always greener on the other side. Have you heard that expression? The grass being greener on the other side. And that's why when we have a short-term mindset and we make this often mistaken presumption, whenever we face a problem in our current situation, we, instead of sticking it out and trying our best to fix it and learning what God wants us to learn, we bail out and we move elsewhere. For example, in our jobs, if we have a certain problem, certain issue with the boss, rather than asking God, Lord, what do you want me to learn? What is my part in maybe trying to fix this problem, if it's fixable at all? Instead, we just say, oh, I'll move to my, my next job. There's always another job waiting for me. You know, when I was uh, in high school, I had a very short-term mindset. I did not know the Lord at that time. And you know, in my, in the, you know these yearbooks that they publish for every, uh, every graduating class? Under my picture, it had a write-up, as they usually do. Do they still do that today? Or is this like Old Testament? Anyway, so under my write-up, it said, it had like my favorite quotation. Sometimes that's what they put in your high school or your college write-up, right? You know what my quotation was? Okay, I'm making a confession, but please don't throw stones at me. This was before I became a Christian, okay? The quotation there was, girls are like buses. Okay, bus. Girls are like buses. If you miss one, there's always another one coming along next. I mean, look at that idiotic short-term mindset that I used to have. I praise God that He has been teaching me so many years now to have a long-term mindset. Same thing with relationships. May konting gusot, you know, a little problem here in this current relationship. Bail out. Change. Maybe the grass will be greener on the other side. Sometimes with, even with marriages, there's a problem. Instead of asking God, what do you want me to do? Oh, change. Move. Surely, hopefully, the grass will be greener on the other side. Am I making sense so far? Good? Thumbs up, everybody? All right, great. And I say this next thing with the greatest degree of sensitivity that I possibly can. Because even when it comes to life in general, a short-term mindset can be very, very dangerous. What do I mean? How many times have people entertained the thought of taking their own life? It's the same issue. Perhaps the grass will be greener on the other side. All I know is this life, I cannot take it anymore. You see, folks, Jesus said, the thief our enemy. His objective is what? Do you remember? Steal, kill, and destroy. So this whole issue of being on guard is so very, very important. And today, we're going to talk about a certain person whose life will teach us how can we get out of this short-term mindset and have a mindset and live a life that is truly victorious from this day until the last day of our lives. Do you think that's important? Would you like to learn that as much as I would like to learn that?
Very good. Okay, but before we go there, a little bit of a guessing game. Now, this will reveal either your age or your propensity for research. Can anybody tell me if you recognize this guy? Does anybody know who this person is? Okay, chances are you do not. I will tell you in a while who it is. But this man, in his 20s or so, he flew. He was a very, um, you know, adventurous kind of person. He flew many combat missions over Korea during the Korean War. And then later on, he became what they call a test pilot. He was the test pilot for this particular aircraft called the X-15. Now, I, I used to watch the X-15 on TV when I was in grade one, okay? <laughs> but amazingly, this is a hypersonic aircraft. And so this guy had such a sense of adventure that he, you know, he took it upon himself to become a test pilot despite the great risk. Now, I'll tell you who he is if you don't already know. His name was Neil Armstrong. Now, if you were alive during... How many of you were alive during the lunar landing? Hopefully, konti lang. Kasi the audience is... Maybe your grandfather told you about it. Anyway, so this was Neil Armstrong, guy with a nice smile, quiet, unassuming guy, <clears throat> but at the age of 38, became the first man to walk on the moon. So he was an instant rock star. But after the whole, you know, the, the noise and the pomp and the circumstance was over, he led a very quiet life. <clears throat> he was teaching engineering at university, but he never lost his sense of adventure. Because fast forward to 2005, when he was 75 years old, he was interviewed by 60 Minutes. And so 60 Minutes was checking in on him, you know, how are you doing and so forth. And what do you do for, for thrill? I mean, you're 75. Do you, do you still have that sense of adventure? And very much so he did because he said, well, this is what I do. Of course, this was in 2005. He says, this is what I do for fun. Flying gliders. So this guy never lost his sense of adventure. And you, we need to understand, you know, when you're flying a glider, there's no engine. There's very little control. You're at the mercy of the wind. But you know what he said was, this is the closest to becoming a bird. You know, just, just like God created. But here's the thing. In that same interview, they, the interviewer told Mr. Armstrong, Mr. Armstrong, the U.S. government is thinking of a manned mission to Mars. What is your response to that? And you know what he said at the age of 75? When asked in a 2005 interview if he would like to go to Mars, Armstrong replied, I don't want to say I'm not available. Amazing guy. Quiet, unassuming, disarming smile, and yet for the long haul, he was an adventurer. The person we're going to talk about today is very much like that, but so, so much more. The name of this person in Joshua chapter 14 is a man named Caleb. Caleb is a very popular name, even nowadays. But when we look at this man, Caleb, what we see is a portrait of faithfulness. For example, in, and you see this description repeated many times over, even when we read the scriptures earlier. Joshua 14, 8, I followed the Lord my God fully. 
you have followed the Lord my God fully. 14, he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. So in other words, it's not just uh, Caleb talking about himself. God says the same thing about Caleb. Moses said the same thing about Caleb. And we can learn something from him. His long-term mindset, his long-term view of life. A portrait of faithfulness. Some Bible translations, instead of using the word fully, they say wholeheartedly. So the question to us this morning, as early as now, is what about us? Are we committed to follow the Lord our God fully, wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, not part of the time, not when it's convenient, not when other people are looking, but fully, wholeheartedly, all the days of our life. What is the, the definition of faithful? By the way, in many resources you learn the name Caleb means dog. But it also implies faithful, bold, brave, wholehearted. So, but what does it mean to be faithful? The biblical words for faithful mean steadfast, dedicated, dependable, and worthy of trust. Does that describe you and me? Maybe it's time to think about that. Can God especially count on you, count on us, to obey Him consistently? Fidelity toward another person or toward God. That's why faithfulness is a big word when it comes to marriage. And you know what? By, by definition or by implication, faithfulness is for the long haul. For example... When you go to the altar, the man meets his bride at the altar and they exchange their vows. And then the man says, I promise to be faithful to you. Is that good? Is that a good promise? Yeah. I promise to be faithful to you. Uh, I can assure you, in, at least in the first five years, I will be faithful to you. Okay, Bayon? Uh, you know what the bride will say? She won't say anything. Because by definition, faithfulness is really long term. Now, what can we learn from Caleb today? Very simple. Our message for today, last week, was be on guard. This week is be faithful. Be faithful, be victorious. Doesn't mean that life will be perfect, it doesn't mean Caleb was perfect. But he just followed God. He loved him. He had a relationship with him. His highest priority was to give glory to God all the days of his life. And so if you want to know a key, not the only one, but a key to victorious living, be faithful. Tell the person next to you, be faithful. By the way, later on we will see, how was Caleb able to be faithful? Because he was full of faith. Because in the end, he trusted God. He trusted God to be a promise giver and promise fulfiller. Anyway, be faithful, be victorious. And in this short chapter from Joshua 14, we will learn from Caleb at least three things or three ways by which you and I can be faithful. Those three things are the following. Number one, 
live to please God. That should be our highest priority, our highest objective. Yes, we want to be a blessing to people. Of course we do. But in the end, we want to please God. Number two, live life to the max. Make the most of the life that God has given you. But of course, in the context of the first one, not to live live to please ourselves, but to please God. Live life to the max. And number three is to live by God's promises. Now, you can think of other ways by which we can develop faithfulness, but these are the three things that we see in this short chapter and in the experience and the example of Caleb. So let's take a closer look at him. Verse 6. Then the sons of Judah, so apparently this was the tribe to which Caleb belonged. The sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal. You remember that place? Just before they attacked Jericho. In Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephune, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Okay, we'll get to this in a moment. But as you can see in this last line, what it means is that Caleb was a man of integrity. Part of being a faithful person is being a person of integrity. We'll see that in a moment. But just backtrack to the earlier verses here. We said earlier that the story of the Israelites is a story of the grace of God. The story of Caleb is nonetheless a great, the story of the grace of God. Why? It says here, Caleb was the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite. The, Kenizzite. the Kenizzites were not originally Hebrews. They were part of the Canaanite people that you read way back in Genesis chapter 15. Now, we're not exactly sure, but obviously the Kenizzites found their way into Egypt. They were likewise enslaved. Perhaps they went to Egypt during the famine, just like the, the, the genesis of the Israelite people did when they went to Egypt and met Joseph, and you, you know that whole story. And, but the point is, obviously, the Kenizzites and the Hebrews intermingled. They both left Egypt when God set them free. And this guy, Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, obviously married someone from the tribe of Judah. And that's how Caleb became a part of the tribe of Judah. What, is, what does that tell you and me? Why is that a story of grace? Well, it just shows us that whatever your background is, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, even your you know, family history, once you put your faith in God, you can be part of His family. doesn't matter what's happened in the past or where you've been or where you're from. Put your faith in God, you enter into a relationship with Him, you become part of His family. And then he said, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea. Let's go on and see what more he says. Nevertheless, my brethren, and we'll, we'll get the details of this story later, who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. 
So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. I don't know about you, but maybe on my epitaph, on my tombstone, I really wouldn't mind if repeatedly it says, He followed the Lord his God fully. Would you like people to say that about you? Not because it glorifies us, but because it glorifies God. I pray that all of us will be faithful. We will follow the Lord our God fully. Now, this thing that Caleb was talking about, let's rewind. Let's have a flashback and see what exactly he was talking about. Let's go all the way back to Numbers. Numbers 13, this was obviously before, long before they entered the promised land. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader from among them. Now, so how many men was Moses going to send? One from each tribe. How many tribes? Okay, so how many spies? Twelve. Among the twelve were two men, particularly here, I'm mentioning them, from the tribe of Judah. Who? Caleb. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, otherwise known as Joshua, the son of Nun. So what happened then? So the spies go out. They do their reconnoitering, their whatever it is. They take pictures. No, they didn't do that, but maybe they made drawings. I really don't know. But they had pictures in their head for sure. And so when they came back, it says, Thus they told him, the spies told Moses and said, We, well, the people, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they had exhibit A. And you can probably hear the people saying, Wow. Nevertheless, oops. What's that in English? Switching gears. Uh Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Who are the descendants of Anak? These are big people, giants, you know, and and yes, there were certainly, we, we can't exactly explain how these giants came to be, but They're very clearly there in the Bible. I mean, you talk about Goliath, over nine feet tall, for example. Anyway, so this was not exactly fake news, but it began to disturb the people. And you can again hear the people saying, changing from, oh, wow, from, ah, panuyan. And so Caleb does this. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. In other words, Caleb stood his ground. He stood his ground based on the promise and the character of God. He stood his ground because he wanted to please God, not people. He didn't want to go with the crowd. Unfortunately, The majority of the spies says they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in, spying it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. Now, wait a minute. That's no longer objective. How can you say the land devours its inhabitants? And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. That's not true. Not all of them. 
were men of great size. Some of them were, but not all. There also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. Again, these huge people. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. How did you know that? Did you ask them how you looked in their sight? So this is now bola bola na to. In other words, they really, in their hearts, did not want to obey God. And they infected the rest of the people. And this is a very important lesson in living to please God and not pleasing or going with the crowd. Folks, what was the painful consequence of this? And what was the blessing to Caleb, who followed the Lord his God fully? Well, this is what the Lord told Moses. Surely all the men... Okay, not just the spies, all. All the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, including refusing to enter the land that God promised, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers. You know, you and I may not completely appreciate this, but think of the lost opportunity. It's just so painful and so sad. And it says, but my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. Folks, our first point, remember, is live to please God. Be faithful, be victorious. Step number one, live to please God. Tell the person next to you, live to please God. This is very important to me personally because one of the character issues, one of the character flaws that I've had for many years, even as a Christian, and up to this day, the Lord continues to mold me, is the tendency to be a people pleaser. You've heard of that term, people pleaser. The Bible calls that the fear of man. And the Bible says, the fear of man in Proverbs 29, the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. It's one of those traps by, of the enemy. Your fear of, you know, standing up for the truth and just wanting to go with the crowd or just wanting to be quiet so that there's no tension, there's no conflict. But you know what the Bible says? The fear of man is a snare. You know what the remedy is? It also says what it is. Trust in the Lord. When we trust in the Lord, we do not need to fear man. We fear God only. And that was the example of Caleb. He was not afraid of what the other people were already saying. And he wasn't afraid of, you know, being... I don't know if the word cancel existed at the time... But obviously, he would have been canceled today. But he stood his ground, he was faithful, and he lived to please God. And you know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible about this whole issue of pleasing people and pleasing God, it's so clear. In Galatians 1.10, let's read this together. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. It is so clear. These two things, 
pleasing people, pleasing God cannot coexist. If I remember my basic geometry, they are mutually exclusive. They are non-intersecting sets. Oh, di ba? Tama ba yun? Sa grade school. But you know what I'm saying? They cannot coexist. And one of the lessons the Lord taught me in fearing God, not fearing men, came at a very difficult juncture in my professional life. I may have shared, I think I shared this story many years ago, but I'll share it again today. In one of the companies where I worked as an executive, the division that God had entrusted to me was doing very, very well. But it came to a point where there was a, a change in, in top management, and not only locally, but even regionally, they were having our companies pursue a certain strategy which was very clearly unethical. I will not share the details with you because they're not relevant. It's the principle that matters. And so there was greater and greater pressure on people like myself to begin adopting these unethical practices. But it was very clear in the industry where we work that those practices that were being, at first they were suggested, ultimately they were being demanded of people like myself. But God was teaching me, live to please God. Don't be afraid of men. Okay, so for as long as I could. Now, I didn't say, I'm going to leave the company. I wanted to stay. I loved the company where I worked, and I value the people I worked with. But I said, Lord, what shall I do? And at one point, I was called into my direct office's my direct boss's office. And he told me, in so many words, either you get with the program or you get out. Or we'll give you a desk job, which basically means we'll put you in the freezer. You've heard that term before? Put you in the... Of course, he didn't say that. He says, we'll give you another job. But I know what that meant. Stuck behind the desk, not knowing, you know, what, what tomorrow will bring. But I had children in school, a family to support. So I said, I'll take the offer. God taught me, no matter what you do, be faithful. Colossians chapter 3, in whatever you do, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord. So behind that desk, no longer responsible for, you know, a few hundred people that used to be under me, just by myself working with another person. God said, you be faithful. You live to please me. Like I said, I never made an effort to leave the company. But you know what? God had other plans. Before I knew it, there was an offer. And the offer, among other things, gave me 80, 80% better salary. Is that amazing? Be faithful, be victorious. Live to please God. Okay, let's go to our next point about being faithful. We said to be faithful, following Caleb's example, we live to please God. 
The second is we live life to the max. Okay, tell the person next to you, live your life to the max. Okay, where do we see that in the life of Caleb? Joshua 14.10. Remember, Caleb was telling Joshua, I was 40 years old when I was sent out as one of the 12 spies. You remember, Joshua, you were there with me. Wala yun sa dialogue, pero siguro somewhere there. Now behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke these 45 years. So folks, Caleb was a faithful man. He was not, unlike Joshua, he was not chosen to lead the Israelites. So he just followed. But he followed his contemporary, Joshua, for 45 years. Because Caleb knew God would keep his promise. But anyway, that's the last point. Meanwhile, he's saying, the Lord has let me live these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. Imagine Caleb walking through that wilderness along with all of those disobedient people who were slowly dying out over that time. And now, look at what he said. And now behold, I am how old? 85 years old today. I'm not sure if he meant today as in today is my birthday. But anyway, the point is now I am 85 years old. And look at, look at the blessing, 11. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now. Wow. I'm, I'm not sure. No, no. I'm sure I cannot say I'm as strong as I was when I was half my age. But for Caleb, this was part of God's blessing. We'll talk about this a little bit more. So, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. For war, obviously, he knew that he was in for a battle because he was going to expel the, the giants who were in that place he was asking for. But also for going out and coming in, which basically means everyday life. As I read through these passages, this is the reflection that I'd like to share with you. Number one, he said, the Lord has let me live these 45 years. What is the lesson? The lesson is, life is a gift. Would you say amen to that? Amen. Life is a gift. A pastor taught me many years ago, as soon as you open your eyes in the morning, you say, Lord, thank you, I'm still alive. You know, some people honestly, they are not grateful they are still alive because they have not learned perhaps to count their blessings. But life is a gift. For as long as the Lord lets you live, He has something in store for you. The second thing we can learn from the example of Caleb, he says, as I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now. Life is a gift and strength is a gift. Health is a gift. Now, 
you and I may not be given as many years as Caleb. You and I may not be given as much strength as Caleb. But whatever is the life God gives you and me, whatever is the measure of strength God gives to you and me, we need to maximize it. Not maximize it for our pleasure, not maximize it for our glory. Remember point number one, live to please God. In the context of living to please God, we live life to the max. So that is the idea so far. It builds one on top of another. Now, it's amazing this blessing that God gave Caleb. But you know what? We see something similar even in the life of Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, it says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. Although Moses was 120 years old, oh, diba? Would you like to live to be 120 years old? Actually, if you ask me, I'm not really sure, but just between us, this part I like. His eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. That one, you like? Yes, oh Lord, by your grace. You know, at times this is what I pray. I pray this for Pastor Peter. I pray this for other people. Let our eye not be dim and let not our vigor be abated. So going back to the example of Caleb, life is a gift. Strength, energy, health is a gift. In whatever measure God gives you and me, live it to the max for God's honor, glory, and pleasure. God told Gideon, go in the strength that you have. Whatever it is I give to you, that is sufficient for the moment. God told Paul, my strength is perfected in your weakness. Whatever it is that God gives us, we use it to the max. So again, I want to stress, the lesson here is not automatically if we are faithful, we will live a long, 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 long life. Oh, if God wills it, praise God. But it's not so much about the length of life, it's about what we do with it. Let me show you some examples in Genesis chapter 5. What difference does it make when a person lives a faithful life to the Lord? In Genesis chapter 5, you will see an enumeration of the generations from Adam up to Noah. So it's full of names and full of ages. You can read it on your own, but I'll read you a few excerpts, okay? And show you the contrast that a faithful life provides for the rest of this world. In chapter 18 of Genesis 5, it says, Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Now, please, you can do your own research. How come these people live so long? Okay, that's not the topic today. We don't have time to get into that. But what the Bible says, we accept. But look at the principle. What do you see in terms of the pattern? So so-and-so, in this case, Jared, he lived... He became the father of somebody. Then he lived 
more years and then had other children and then he died. Template. You skip another generation. You see the same thing. Even uh, from all the other parts of Genesis 5. Methuselah. Oh, this name I think you know, right? Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 782 years and he became the father of Lamech. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and so he died. Do you see the same pattern? Yeah, he lived. He had this child. He lived some more, had more children, then he died. Now you rewind one generation. You look at the difference. That's why Enoch is one of my favorite characters, even if we don't know so much of him. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Remember, we backtracked one generation. Then Enoch, oh, this is different. In the others, it just says they lived so many more years. But with Enoch, what does it say? What does it say? He walked with God. You know, when the Bible says walk, it means he lived in a relationship with God. He knew God personally. Enoch walked with God 300 years. After he became the father of Methuselah, he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. You know what? Enoch lived a short life. Only, only 365 years in comparison to everybody else. But what's the difference? He walked with God. And even at the end of his life, it's described differently. Everybody else, it just says they died. Here he says, Enoch walked with God and he was not, meaning he was no more, because God took him. Be faithful. Be victorious. How do we live life to the max? The Apostle Paul tells us, Ephesians 5, 15, 16, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Again, walk means everyday living. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You can see the logic. It's very clear. He tells us to be careful. How do we, careful, how do we be careful how we live? By making the most of your time. Why should we make the most of our time? Because the days are evil, full of deception, be on guard. How can we make sure that we walk carefully and be wise? By understanding what the will of the Lord is. And the word understand means not just know it in the head, but with the intention of applying or obeying it. Folks, we need to learn to live life to the max. When my wife was di after my wife was diagnosed with cancer in 2003, she, God gave her a burden in her heart to reach out to people with cancer or to their family members or even people with other um, serious illnesses. And so they began a group and eventually you know, formed small groups. And one day she asked me, what do you think is a nice name for this group? And you know, I just said, call it life to the max. Because no matter how short or long life is, we need to maximize for the glory of God. My wife was also very active with the women's ministry, uh, Women of Worth, or WOW, as it's 
more popularly known. And of course, during the pandemic, just like all other ministries, they could not meet face to face. So she, along with the other ladies who would speak, uh, would record messages on video for distribution to the members of that ministry. She recorded a video in our home, which was released March 25, 2021. March 25, 2021. In less than two weeks, sorry, in just over two weeks, she went to be with Jesus. The title of her talk, can you guess? The title of her talk was Use Your Time Wisely. Folks, be faithful, be victorious. Number one, live to please God. Number two, live life to the max. And how do we understand what the will of the Lord is? This is the secret. This is God talking to you and to me, revealing His will. Are we good so far? How many of you want to be victorious in your life? But how many of you are willing to be faithful up to the end? I hope it's the same number of hands. So our last point. Live to please God. Live life to the max. Live by God's promise. Okay. How, where do we see that in the life of Caleb? By the way, before that, you know, somebody said, what is the biggest room in the world? The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. You heard that before? The biggest room in the world is, is the room for improvement. But if I ask you, what is the most difficult room to be in? I think one of the most difficult rooms to be in is this one, the waiting room. Would you agree? Waiting for God to answer your prayer. Waiting for God to fulfill a promise in your life. How many of you have been in the waiting room before? Or maybe you are in the waiting room now. It's not an easy place to be. But that's why we need to be faithful. Caleb was in the waiting room, how many years? 45 years. But look, Caleb's confidence. Now then, he told Joshua, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim, by the, that's not Skywalker for you Star Wars fans, okay? Anakim is plural for the sons of Anak, the big people, the giants. You heard on that day, Anakim were there with great fortified cities. So it was true. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. By the way, this phrase, perhaps the Lord is with me, is not, I repeat, is not an expression of doubt. It is a Hebrew idiom. As a matter of fact, it means the complete opposite. It is a statement of confidence. I know the Lord will be with me as He has spoken, and by His grace, I will drive them out. Because that was God's promise. And you know what? If you go one chapter after that, Caleb drove out from there three sons of Anak. Not one, but three. Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. It sounds funny, no? Tagalog. The children of Anak. Anyway. Anyway. Live by the promises of God. I want to tell you a little bit about this amazing missionary named Adoniram Judson. 
His story is a very long story. You can watch on YouTube documentaries about his life. But let me just summarize and explain to you why I find this man an example of living by God's promises, despite the odds or the situation. You see, at one point in his life, Adoniram Judson's wife died, their daughter died, and, you know, he suffered because of it. He, he became reclusive. He lived in a small hut in an isolated place. He dug his own grave. He was thinking of taking his own life. But, you know, by the mercy of God, God pulled him out of that darkness. He gave him a vision for reaching Burma for Jesus. And just to make the long story short, his legacy is quite amazing. He compiled the first Burmese English dictionary. Every dictionary written in Burma in the last 200 years have been based on the ones originally created by him. He translated the entire Bible into the Burmese language by the year 1840. But here's the thing. Even up to this day, his translation work continues to bear fruit for the gospel in Myanmar. God is amazing. Because, he, yeah, you want to give the Lord a clap? <laughs> Folks, our faithfulness is only a reflection of God's faithfulness. Our faithfulness to God is just a reflection of God's ultimate faithfulness to us. And you know what I like about Adoniram Judson? Probably his most famous quote is this, and you can memorize this, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Hallelujah. How bright is the future? Yes, as bright. I think God deserves better than that, you know? We may not have the strength of Caleb, but we have the strength to give glory to God through a clap offering. Amen? And that's what he truly deserves. Now, at, let's end. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day because, what a nice ending, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, then the land had rest from war. In other words, even the top guy, Arba, the top banana of the Anakim, no more, because that became Caleb's land by the grace of God. Be faithful, be victorious. Now, would you like to meet a present-day Caleb? Would you like to hear his story? Yes, I would too. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to call on one of our dear pastors, a very dear friend, and just a wonderful man, Pastor Bert Vila. Will you come and share your story with us? God bless you, brother. I became a follower of Jesus when I was 41 years old 
and 10 years married with four kids. In the first 40 years of my life, I thought I was a good person. I was raised by upright and hardworking middle-class parents who practice our country's traditional religion. While in high school and college, I, spiritual matters started losing their importance to me. Church going became only a duty to please others. Eventually, I, became, I began to believe in ideas such as, I am the master of my faith, I am the captain of my soul. After I entered the workforce, I went into marketing and product management in multinational companies. Success brought changes in my lifestyle. But while nights out with fellow executives was fun, I felt something was clearly missing. In 1975, at 29 years old, I no longer enjoyed my accomplishments. I wanted to do something significant. But because of the needs of my growing family, I ended up pursuing money instead. I had major successes in the next multinationals I worked for. But one day, I was retrenched when our company was bought out. Suddenly, I was jobless and had nothing. The Lord used a former work buddy to share the gospel with me. While playing golf in 1986, my buddy missed an easy golf putt. Instead of exploding with expletives as he used to do, he just quietly tapped the ball into the hole. I asked, why didn't you curse? He answered, I'm a Christian now. He then invited me to Bible study, and having time and nothing to do, I went. He welcomed me at the entrance and introduced me to many people. Everyone was so friendly, and I immediately felt comfortable. My friend sat with me in the beginner's class to help me find verses in the Bible and have snacks after class to help me process my learnings. It was on the fifth meeting that I understood the gospel completely when our teacher explained Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, for the first time in 41 years, I realized that I was not a good person at all. I admitted I was a sinful I was sinful and turned to Jesus. In a few days, others noticed changes in me. I was comfortable carrying the Bible. Cast words were no longer in my vocabulary, and nights out were replaced with Bible studies. By June of 1987, we had our first small group meeting in our home in Quezon City. At this time, I was still jobless, but as I sought God's kingdom first, an amazing thing happened. One Friday night, after prayers, my boss called me up and asked me, 
my future boss called me up and asked me if I would report to the, to the office the following Monday. Praise God. Yeah. And you know what's better? Over the next few years, the group that met at home multiplied into other small groups. My wife and I never missed any CCF retreat, seminar, training, and leaders' assemblies between 1987 and 1997. By November of 98, our senior pastor started talking to my wife and me about my becoming a pastor. After much prayer, I dropped corporate work and answered yes to full-time pastoring. I started in January of 1999, and the flock that the Lord had entrusted to us began to grow. Then the Lord raised the bar after our fourth year. My wife, Joey, was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. She needed to go through mastectomy, chemo, radiation, and hormonal therapy. My apprehensions rose. How will I care for my kids? How could I help them keep trusting the Lord? How shall I pay the huge amount of treatment? How can I do all this and still carry on the ministry? But the Lord provided answers, the solutions, and the resources. He sent us loving Christian doctors. He directed us to the insurance company that covered my wife's medical expenses, even if hers was a pre-existing condition. Members of the pastoral area stepped up as they saw our needs. The Lord even blessed us with a trip to the Holy Land in May of 2004. But on our way back, in early June, my wife's back started to ache. The cancer had spread to her hip bones. By August, my wife and I knew that I was already, it was already the beginning of the end of her life on earth. I was in my CCF office when I learned that her cancer was already in her liver and lungs. I sobbed like a child. I thank God there was a pastor and his wife who cried with me. But God himself comforted and reassured me with his promises. I realized that heaven is the best place. So why should I be selfish to insist that she should remain with me with her worsening cancer? By late November 2004, she peacefully went to the Lord, witnessed by me, our kids, our, her sisters, and some friends. I kept myself busy with family and ministry and discovered that there's nothing like focusing on doing things for the Lord and others in order to live a life of meaning, significance, and joy. Yes, by God's grace, I'm now a super senior, 76 years old, and I'm still active in the ministry. I retired from CCF's administrative duties 11 years ago, and it has been 18 years since my wife went to be with Jesus. But by God's grace, 
I still shepherd the members of our pastoral area that God had entrusted to me. I'm still discipling my D12, a few young men, and of course, my family. I'll be 77 years old this year, and I pray the Lord will keep me faithful and strong to do more to shepherd his flock. All praise, honor, and glory be to him. Offering that he truly deserves. Praise God for you, Pastor Bert. And as we often do, we bring the D group leader. Guess who is the D group leader of Pastor Bert? <laughs> but this. Uh, uh, I'm not as old. <laughs> but my brother is a classic example of faithfulness. Faithful to God, faithful to his wife and faithful to the D-group. He listened to the counsel of the D-group. I know there are certain issues in his life that he struggled with, but Pastor Bert, you are an inspiration to all of us. He is now the acting senior pastor of the CCF in Eastwood. And Eastwood is made up of young people. So it's amazing. Hey, guys, why don't... You all stand up and I pray for my brother, Bert. By the way, uh, we have many pastors like Bert, even though they have retired, but by the grace of God, we keep working together. Yes. And I guess you should never retire, all right? So that word retired is really something that is not really known in CCF, even though... We, he retired. He did not retire, okay? It's just retire. You know, retire, when you retire the wheel, you retread it. So it will go faster and better. So, guys, let's all raise our right hand. Father God, I just thank you for the example of my brother, Pastor Bert, how you have guided his life by divine appointment, how you led him to know you personally, and for Joey, for his wife, and, his, and their wonderful children today. We pray especially now for Bert's health, for his ministry, for his future, and thank you for the amazing provisions you have been helping and providing for our brother here. I pray now for his sons, for his family, that they will likewise follow in his footsteps to do things that is meaningful and that will count for eternity. I pray you give all of us here the eyes of Caleb, the faithful eyes to realize that promises are not always immediate, but we shall wait and wait because you are faithful and your promises will surely come true. And I pray for my brother Bert. Use him mightily in the years to come. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God indeed. So folks, uh, do you want to remain standing? You, you can sit. You can sit. <laughs> Be faithful, live to please God, live life to the max, and live by God's promises. We're going to hear a song right now. And I pray the Lord will minister and inspire all of us to be faithful to the end. And if you know the song, two things. One is it means you're old enough to remember the song. So you are in the Caleb generation. <laughs> no, just joking. Or, but really, just, just sing from your heart. 
and then we'll close in prayer. So please meditate on this song. Cheering on.
Indeed, Lord, that is our prayer this morning, that all who come behind us will find us faithful, because by your grace and by your power, we will be faithful today, the next day, and up to the end of our days. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has not even taken that first step to living a faithful life, I pray that you will speak to that person. And if you, my friend, online, here in the auditorium, if you know you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus yet, know that it is His faithfulness that has brought you here today. And before you follow in His footprints, you need to know that His hands have nail prints and His feet likewise because He died on that cruel cross for you to pay for all of your sin. And I pray that today you will take that first step of a faithful life by embracing as your Lord and Savior the one who was faithful to go to the cross and pay the penalty for all your sin. Will you pray to Him something like this? Lord Jesus, your earthly life was brief, but it was faithful. And you were faithful to your mission for my sake, that my sins would be paid for by your death and by your victory in your resurrection. And so, Lord Jesus, today, I give you my life. I believe in you and you alone as my Lord and Savior. And as the only one who can give me the strength day by day to live a life that is faithful in return to you for all you've done for me. So, Lord Jesus, we pray your blessing on all of us right now. That indeed, not only those who come behind us will find us faithful, but you will find us faithful. So that when we meet you face to face, your words to us will be, well done, good and faithful servant. In your name and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless us all.